Open up to Ephesians chapter six. We're going to be in Acts chapter eight. Uh, If you're new or haven't been around for a little while, we're traveling through the book of Acts, uh, kind of at a snail's pace. But there's so many things to learn, so many things to consider. It's difficult to run quickly through it. But we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6. This morning, we're going to deal with uh, the reality of the spiritual realm. And my hope is, as we travel through some scriptures to make you guys aware, although I know many of you already are, but just aware of the spiritual battle that we face and how it can be difficult at times to not be deceived. And how do we arm ourselves? And what does it take to make sure that I deception-proof myself from uh, the enemy's desires, his ways, the things that he's working. So that's kind of what we're going to deal with today through the story of um, Philip and Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, which we'll get to. But this is going to serve as the foundation of it. We won't be spending a ton of time teaching through this particular section. I just want to make you aware of it. You'll know it. Many of you have memorized it. But it really, it serves as a, an important foundation. Bear that in mind as we travel through it. Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we're going to start in verse 10. It's Paul, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So pause for a moment and meditate on it. Consider that scripture. Be strong in the Lord. What does that mean? Think about it. Consider it for you guys. And in the power of his might. Consider his power, his majesty, his greatness, and I'm to be strong in it, to be held fast by it, and so on. He'll go on to say, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay, we'll pause for a second. The devil has wiles. Now, what in the world does that word mean? I don't know. Schemes is what it means. He's got some devices. He's got like ideas and things he's thought about to try to trick you and mess you up and pull you away ultimately from following the king of kings. And that's what we'll eventually look at. Why are there deceptions and so on? We'll get to it. He has schemes. You guys read it with me, right? We're reading the word of God. I believe the word of God is truth. It's inerrant and whatever is is here is what God has spoken. So when I'm reading this, man, the, the enemy has schemes. Ways that he's thought. Think about times where you've schemed. Or you've schemed about your kids trying to get them to do certain things, how your kids have schemed against you to manipulate you to say yes to something that you don't want to. Schemes, thinking through things, strategizing and considering ways to trip you up, get your eyes off of the king. But we have hope. (laughs) It's in Christ. You guys know that. And in these things that he's going to discuss, each one of these highlighting a particular work of the gospel, undoubtedly, it all goes back to Jesus. That's the whole point of this whole thing. I want to be able to stand. That's as opposed to fall. I don't want to stumble and fall. I want to stand against it for the sake of uh, like knowing who the Lord is, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my kids, for the sake of our fellowship, our community, so on and so on, right? I want to stand. Uh, put on the whole armor of God, all right. Verse 12, important verse, right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle or we fight against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, against, um, I'm sorry, in the heavenly places, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a world out there that we don't see. It is not material. It is spiritual. 
How do we know? Well, the Bible just told us right here, we experienced the thing when you were born again. That was the, the spiritual world coming in. Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God, came and dwelt within us. You guys remember that? We were in first service, we sang, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. At that moment, do you recall when the blood of Jesus was applied onto your life, when you believed that he was the King of all kings and Lord of lords, that God had raised him from the dead, it says you'll be saved. You're now born again. You're at that spot where ah, there's a, spirit, a spiritual thing took place. I didn't see it happen, but man, was I a different guy after that. Jesus Christ changed my life. <clears throat> we don't see it. You can develop doctrines or ideas or theologies around these types of things. There are some things we know really well. You can say the main things in scripture are the plain things and the plain things in scripture are the main things, the things that we will highlight and be dogmatic about. But there are some things we don't. We get a window into the spiritual world that it's there and we wrestle against it. That like even now consider the fight and the battle for your attention even now, that something is taking place in the heavenlies. Our eyes cannot see it, but something's going on. You can say that and not be crazy. We, we read it right here in scripture. Something's going on right now, a battle. We've prayed for service, asked that the Holy Spirit would be here and be moving among us, that there wouldn't be any distractions, that the enemy wouldn't have his way, right? We've prayed. People were here Saturday praying for service, praying for this building, praying for this place, praying for the pastors, praying for you guys. Because we do warfare. We'll get to that if I stop talking. We'll get to it in a second. But spiritual hosts of wickedness, man, like it's going on right now. Can I tell you all about it? No. We don't know a ton. But we know this much for sure. There is a battle that takes place. It's happening right now. <clears throat> and so because of that, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand. <laughs> you guys getting the point here? Stand. Therefore, girding your waist with truth. Where are we going to find truth? All right, here we go. <clears throat> having, your, um, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the, gospel, with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and then notice 18, praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication or praying, interceding on behalf of the saints. <clears throat> We've been given a prescription on how to do war. It's right here. I'm not gonna go into it. You guys study it, consider it. You're aware of it, I know. But this is what God has brought us. Praise the Lord for the word of God that we have this to consider, that we're not left wondering what to do, but he's given it to us. <clears throat> I want you to allow this to be a foundation as we move forward in the book of Acts chapter eight. You can turn there now. Let that be the foundation for what we're gonna look at. We have gone through all of this. We entered into last week, the gospels now spreading into Samaria. It's gone from Jerusalem and Judea. Now it's finally hit the next part in the place where Jesus said it would go, Samaria. What required, or what prompted this was persecution, that God allowed persecution to take place to kind of get the church going. They were at this point in time satisfied, you could say, maybe with a holy huddle that they had. And here they are now finally being kind of forced to spread. And as they dispersed and went out, if you can remember the picture of the nations of Pentecost, how they came from really all areas of the kind of the Roman Empire, they come and, and, 
here and descend on uh, Jerusalem. They hear the gospel, they get saved. They stay, they sell their things and they have this time of incubation where the church became strong. That time had come to an end, it was time to go. It's time to become active in their faith, active in what God had called them to do. Persecution arises, God allows it. Saul was the kind of the, the, the thrust behind it and they scatter everywhere. We now pick up a story with Philip and he's gonna be the highlight of chapter eight. Philip was just a guy, meaning he was not an apostle. He had never spent time with Jesus. He didn't get to hang out with him. He didn't get to watch him. He didn't get to hear him speak. He's just like you and I. He's, Philip has heard about Jesus. He was full of, of the spirit. He was full of faith. He had a good reputation and he was one of the uh, seven uh, deacons that were helping distribute food and, and different things to the widows. And yet we see a guy who wants to follow Jesus and serve him in a really special way. <clears throat> so Acts chapter eight, we'll start in verse nine, but I gotta pray. Lord, would you have your way this morning? Speak very clearly through the teaching of your word. Help us to understand these things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. There's a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city. What city? Samaria. Verse eight, a place where there was great joy. Do you guys remember that? There was great joy. Why? Because people were set free from sin. They were set free from demonic things. They were free. <clears throat> no longer in bondage, but free. Great joy because joy is connected to something I anticipate. I have joy. Why? Because I'm going to eat lunch. <laughs> I look forward to it. Inevitably, God willing, that day will come. After church, we say goodbye to all of you. I'm going to go grab some grub. I look forward to it. It, make, it does this thing in my life where I get excited. But there was great joy. We look forward to something and it brings joy to us. We have something so secure in Jesus Christ. Why do we have joy? Because it cannot be taken. We have Jesus in heaven. There's gonna come a day, you're gonna see him face to face. All right, that's kind of like the end of the day stuff. Everything else put aside at the end of the day, we're gonna stand before him and he's gonna look on us and he's gonna love us. We'll be accepted in him. Like all these beautiful things will take place. That's why we can have joy in the midst of craziness. When our eyes are set on him, <clears throat> there was great joy, but there was also this guy. Simon, he previously practiced sorcery in the city of Samaria, claiming he was somebody great to whom they all gave heed, the people, the residents that were there. From the least to the greatest, maybe from the poor to those who were in charge of everything, they listened to him. They gave heed to this person, Simon. And they said this, this man is the great power of God. Notice that they didn't say or doesn't record, this man has the great power of God. It was different. This man is the great power of God. You can see a counterfeit being taken uh, place here. Something that has taken away the glory from God is this man named Simon. And they heeded him or they listened to him because he'd astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus, both men and women were baptized. Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. We're gonna deal with the reality of the spiritual realm. Next week, we're gonna talk about 
uh, maybe you could say like the, the positive side of it. We're going to look at the, the enemy this week. Next week, we're going to deal with how can a believer, and, I, and as we roll through here, I would be, believe that Simon was a follower of Jesus. You can read there in 12 and 13. And he continued with Philip, following him around, watching him. And then he deal, and then we see next week, like he has this major struggle where he tries to like buy the Holy Spirit, the ability to have the Spirit poured out on other believers. Peter has some strong words to say to him. We'll get to that next week. How can a believer struggle like that? It's a matter of sanctification where we're growing. And, and like that is a part of following Jesus where we're not gonna be perfect. We're gonna have to grow. There's gonna be things that are residual from the life that we had lived before that we carry into this life, but it's Jesus Christ who renews our mind. It's being in his word, allowing the spirit to have his way in us, that we would yield to him. God does not expect us to be perfect, but I think there is an expectation to grow. And we're gonna see next week, uh, Simon is being very encouraged to grow. But here we see him has captivated this city for a long time. Philip comes with something that is genuine and real. Jesus Christ comes, the power of his Holy Spirit comes and Simon sees it and says, man, that's legit because he knows what he is. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> we'll probably be, we are, we are, we're rolling through a lot of different scripture. And so if you're taking notes, just get ready. Prepare your heart for it, right? It should be up on the screen, most if not all of these. <clears throat> this is in the context of the end times, but it has an important principle that I think is worth sharing. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 23. It's Jesus talking here. He says, if anybody says to you, look, here's the Christ, or hey, it's over, he's over there. <clears throat> Don't believe it. It's pretty straightforward, right? For there will be false Christs and false prophets who will rise and they'll show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. What signs and wonders are you talking about? That's the same word that is used for when Philip is doing his thing. And we're going to go through and talk about lying signs and wonders in a second for you guys to consider. False Christs and false prophets will come. Why are we talking about this? Well, we're reading it in, the, in Acts chapter eight. You guys tracking with me? And it seemed like God said, hey, let's spend a little bit of time and just consider this. I don't know how much you guys have considered it or thought about it, but these things will come. And notice they're coming to deceive. They want to take you away from what is true what we find here in scripture, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as it goes on. False Christs will come. Jesus goes on to say, I've told you this beforehand. We've been warned. So don't be duped. Don't be deceived. <clears throat> when Jesus comes back, everyone will see it. The rapture will be the church. We're actually gonna talk about that in a second. But when Jesus comes back and steps foot on the Mount of Olives, let me tell you something. There's no one who's going to wonder if it's him or not. Every single person's going to know that's Jesus. There's not going to be a wondering like, hey, it's, no, they're going to know. And so that's what Jesus is trying to say. If somebody's saying, hey, look over there, I think that's Jesus. It's not because you're going to know. You're going to fall on your knees and you're going to know it's him. So Jesus warns them, false Christ are going to come, but here's what's up. It's not always obvious. And this is where it gets tricky. And that's kind of what we'll, we'll work through. The things that were going on with Simon, one of two things. 
some of these things can be acts or demonstrations or illusions of the mind. We're talking about these magical arts that he had, had as sorceries. So that's true. There are illusions that can take place. A sleight of hand or some chemical reaction or something can go on where we just, I don't understand it, right? I don't see it. And it appears as though there's something spiritual happening. But here's what's up. There's a second part to this, and this is just as real, that it can be something empowered by Satan in an attempt to discredit God to take your eyes or attention away from what God is or who God is, or it's some counterfeit thing. And, I, and we'll develop that case as we go through here. Why are there false Christs? And why are there deceivers? Why is there the Antichrist? There's many different ways to answer this. I'm gonna deal with this. I'm gonna answer it like this. It's to lead people away. Now you could ask the question, why would God allow it? I'm not gonna deal with that right now. You can email me and we'll talk through it. But it's to lead people away. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and things, spiritual hosts of wickedness. There is a battle that takes place for you, your soul, and for the souls of others to lead people away. So we're going to roll through some of these scriptures. This is Acts chapter 20, verse 30. It's actually Paul hanging out with the elders from Ephesus. Now, Paul would have already written Ephesians and sent it to them, and they would have read it and studied it and considered it. Every Sunday there, they gathered together and they went through the, the memoirs of the apostles and they sang and they considered, how can I follow these things and how can I apply them to my life? The church was doing that with the letter to the Ephesians. They would have read through, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And here's Paul now talking to them before he basically is gonna be shipped off eventually to go to, to prison. Acts chapter 20, verse 30, he says this, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. They're not going to spare the flock. And also from among yourselves, men will rise up. Notice two things. People will come from without, right? And they'll come in and people will rise up from within and try to do this. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to speak perverse things, things that are twisted and wrong. And they're going to draw away the disciples after them. <clears throat> this is what we want to prevent, isn't it? This is why we contend for the faith. This is why we teach from God's word so that you guys are deception-proofed. That's, if that's the way I could say it, that, I, that you won't be drawn away. We're going to stick right here because once you see something that isn't true or you, you're catching something, it's like, that doesn't seem right. It's because you know what is, what is the truth. We want to become so accustomed to what is true that what is false and counterfeit is obvious. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? It's not always that obvious. Sometimes it's difficult. That's why we have discernment. That's why the Spirit of God is there to give us discernment. But they want to draw the disciples away after themselves. Look at Romans chapter 16. He'll end the letter like this. This is 17 through 20. He says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine that you have learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly or their own desires. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. We want to prevent that. So we're going to stick to God's word and ask him that the spirit would give us discernment. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Stay away. <clears throat> and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Isn't that a great verse? I wanted to add that. It's, well, it's part of the context, obviously, but this is good news. That's why we can have joy. That day is coming, and this is good news. And you can rejoice in the power and the awesomeness of God. 
We're not left to our own devices. He's going to crush him. He's going to take care of him. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Concerning that crushing, we're going to read about it in 2 Thessalonians in a moment. We're not quite there yet. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and then 12 through 15. Check this out. Paul says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do. Verse 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you a chaste version to Christ. It's Paul speaking to the church in Corinth and he loves them so dearly. And he's saying, listen, listen, listen. I don't want you to get distracted. I, want, I don't want you, your, your affections to go anywhere else. Verse three, but I fear, he says, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's found in Christ. And here we see that there is the possibility of being corrupted, adding things to Jesus or taking my eyes and like looking over here at something else. People have itching ears. I just want, is there something else? Is, is the gospel becoming like drab to you? Man, don't let it be that way. Pray against it. Let it be fresh every morning when you wake up. It's like, Jesus, thank you. You've saved me. I'm born again, holy, blameless, and above reproach, and nothing can take that away. Jesus, I'm safe in you. Hide yourself in Christ. Enjoy him. Worship him when you wake up, right? I, it's, it's no more complicated than that. And Paul was worried that as things progress, they tend to become more complicated, he says, don't let it be so. Don't let your eyes get shifted away from Jesus and deceived and other, these other things. Stay strong and stay true to what we found in Scripture. <clears throat> Verse four, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, that's the first thing he's gonna talk about, whom we have not preached, or if a different spirit, which you have not known, so there's a different spirit, and that's kind of what we're dealing with in Acts chapter eight. Something else is going on. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's a different spirit one that you need to stay away from. <clears throat> or a different gospel that you've not accepted. A different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. Get out of there. Don't put up with it. He says they might put up with it. You might be tolerant of such things because you want to be inclusive. It's now we don't have time for that. This is the souls of people we're talking about here. We want truth. Jesus, the Holy Spirit and the gospel, Right? He goes on 12 through 15. But what I do, I also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. What's the point of all of this, you guys? What can you do with any of this? You're being made aware of it. That's kind of the first thing. You're being made aware that there's a battle that goes on for the souls of people and that deception is a real and present danger. And apart from hiding myself in Christ, being in the word, prayer, and fellowship, I am susceptible to it. And so are you. He's writing to the church. That's you guys, that's me, to beware of it. If it wasn't a clear and present danger, then why would he warn them, right? You one could say, it's legitimate. And so we're just being made aware of it. This, uh, where we are in scripture, that there's spiritual warfare that takes place, that there are lying signs and wonders that can go on that I might think, man, that's God, when it's not. And I'm now ascribing or following after somebody or something that isn't God. It's a different spirit and that's dangerous. And we wanna be careful. I don't want you to be deceived. We don't want to be deceived. <clears throat> Okay, 
All right, we're good. Second Corinthians chapter two. This is such a fun section of scripture, you guys. We're dealing with end times. We're dealing with the rapture and also the second coming of Christ in this particular section. And I want to, there's, there's kind of like one point to be made here <clears throat> that I won't be able to develop a ton, <clears throat> but I want you guys to be made aware of it. Second Thessalonians chapter two. <clears throat> we'll start in verse six. There's a lot that we're, we're missing out on. He's, he's dealing with the gathering together and don't be soon shaken. No one deceive you and so on. Uh, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken, it, taken up out of the way. We believe that's a reference to the Holy Spirit dwelling within the church. That a moment will come when the rapture of the church takes place and this, the church is gone, we're up with him. And that begins this uh, period of tribulation that the world will, go, will enter into. And when the spirit of God goes and the church goes with him, we're gone, and what's going to happen? He's taken out of the way. The lawless one will be revealed. It's a green light for those forces of evil to go. You are salt. Remember, that's one of the verses of, for our year. You are salt of the, of the world and of the earth. You're a light. Well, when that salt's taken out of the way and when that light is gone, it's darkness. There's no preserving. There's a, there's a fast-forwarding now of, of uh, what's going to be happening there in the end times. He'll be taken out of the way. The lawless one will be revealed. This is the lawless one. We have only really that description, but it's the one that we see throughout Old Testament prophecy and then in Revelation, the beast, this one that the world will be in awe of. This one that the world will, will look at and eventually he'll demand worship. It's amazing. Brings the whole world together and so on. But check out the power and majesty of our God. You guys know this verse. It's one of my favorites in all of scripture. The lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Isn't that exciting? Jesus comes and he exhales and he's gone. Isn't that awesome? That's how powerful he is. That's the God who loves you, who died for you, who created all and he's here with you now ministering to you. Maybe you met with him already this morning. He's the same God who's just going to exhale and the Antichrist is gone. He's just going to show up breathing and he's done. I mean, that's some incredible power. We worship him. We got to sing songs to him. But he goes on. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with power, signs, and lying wonders. What does that mean? That he's going to do things that will deceive you. Not you necessarily, but like the world. He's going to do lying signs and wonders. That's the same word that's in Acts chapter 8, and we've seen all throughout Acts, but things are going to take place where you're going to look at those and think, dude, that's the Lord, but it's not. It's actually Satan. Lying signs and wonders. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but they had pleasure and unrighteousness. Deception will come. I want to I be able to stand against it. But what I'm trying to point out with this particular scripture, and this was something that I had found in Guzik commentary. It said this, this particular area where lying signs and wonders take place means miracles can prove that something is supernatural. 
but not necessarily that something is true or right. And we see it happening here. And you could say, oh, is it, is it a sleight of hand? Is it really true and genuine stuff? Probably not, but to our eyes, it would look that way. But the enemy can deceive and I wanna be just aware. I wanna be ready. Lord, hide me in you. At the end of the day, what's up with this is every single person has a decision to make. That's why there's a battle. Are they gonna follow Jesus? Or are they gonna follow after the ways of the world? And the enemy is there to try to deceive, like, oh, this is Jesus, but it's not, or whatever else it might be, to deceive people. So here we are, hey, check it out. You guys are a church. You're a fellowship of believers who know God's word, and you get to go into the world and do what? Preserve it. You get to make it taste better. You get to be a light. You get to share these things with people who don't know what is true. You're being taught truth. Why? Because it's God's word. We're just going through scripture. So that you can know Jesus and so you can make him known in a world that is being deceived, in a world that's being taken advantage of, we have the truth. We get to share this with people. Okay, we're nearing the end, so get excited. We'll deal with a few lying wonders, in case you were just like, what are lying wonders? We're gonna deal with it just for a second because it's kind of fun. And then we'll summarize. And I might be able to get to a wee little side note. I don't know if you'll care or not. We'll see. Lying wonders. In Exodus chapter seven, verse 11, Moses throws down his uh, staff, turns into a snake. And God had told him, I'm gonna be with you. And I want you to go into Pharaoh and I want you to do your thing. And if you can recall, Moses is like, I just don't know, God. And so Moses puts his hand inside of his thing and he pulls it out and it had lepr- he had leprosy. And he's like, ah, oh. puts it in, it's gone. And God's like, I'm with you. I'm gonna do these things. I'm gonna do miraculous things and people will be amazed. My power will be with you, right? He goes in there, he throws his staff down like a boss And he says, here, what's up? Turns into a snake. Well, guess what happens? Do you guys remember the story? That Pharaoh's magicians, they throw their staffs down and what happens? They turn into snakes too. What was Moses thinking then? Is he like, oh no, God, you didn't tell me that this is gonna happen. But what ends up going on is Moses' staff ate all the others, right? Because God is way more powerful. We're not on the same level at all. Satan's power is limited. God is unlimited. What happens again with frogs, they did their own enchantments for various other things. These lying signs and wonders that somehow are empowered by Satan. How does it work? Don't ask me, you guys. We have a very small window into that. It's very dangerous to like begin to make kind of dogmatic statements about it. We know that it's real. We know it exists. We know we need to be aware of it and be aware of it, right? Frogs, they did the frogs. In Exodus chapter eight, verse 11, oh no, sorry, 18, verse seven. No, it's verse 18. (laughs) Sorry, guys. God brought lice. And for whatever reason, the magicians couldn't produce that either. They just weren't able to. Don't know why. It just mentions that. And that's here. Satan's power is limited. It's limited. It's small. Maybe to us, it seems pretty wild, but to, to the king of kings, it is nothing. Don't ever forget that perspective that God is great and majestic. He's so big. He's so good. All of this in Exodus was in an attempt to discredit God, to draw people away from believing that he is the all-powerful and mighty God, the great I am, who just met with Moses in Exodus chapter three and made his name as such. It's to discredit, it's a counterfeit. Matthew chapter seven, if you turn to that, this is a scary section of scripture. And it, but at the same time, it's actually beautiful. And I hope you guys see it that way. What is the heart of God for us? but to desire that we would know him. 
the King of kings and Lord of lords wants you to know him, to enjoy him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you, he's called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Koinonia and intimacy. In Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> We'll start in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But notice it's he who does the will of my father in heaven. <clears throat> What's the work of God that you would believe on me, the one whom we sent? In verse 22, he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast demons out in your name? We've done many wonders in your name. And notice Jesus says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see a connection so vital and important that we would know him, that he would indeed be the Lord of your life. Not just a religious practice, not just something that we do, but I actually know him, that when I go and sit with him in the morning, it's like I'm meeting with the living and powerful God. To know him and to enjoy him, not just checking boxes off a list, but knowing him. It's what he desires, but you'll see here that these guys were doing some crazy things and they didn't even know him. I don't want to be deceived. And eventually we'll find out those who practice lawlessness, you're going to know them by their fruits. We'll get to that in a moment. Jesus is going to say such a thing. He goes on, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'm going to liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The foolish man heard, but what? He didn't do. He had God's word, but he didn't abide by it. The, the man who built his house on a rock, he had it and he did it. And that was the difference. To know him, the power of his resurrection, right? The fellowship of his suffering. I want to know him. <clears throat> I want to enjoy him. Concerning his word, being a hearer and a doer of it, I got this quote, no clue who it was from. Do not attribute it to me. It's from some other place on the internet. But it, uh, it says, Satan cannot take the Bible from us. He hadn't been able to. Here it is, the most uh, highly sold book in all of history, most translated book. You guys know the beauty of God's word. But can he take us from the Bible? And that's the, that's the scary part, right? I'm not, I don't, that's a bad way of saying it. We're gonna get to, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But can he take us from the Bible? Can he shift our attention to something that's maybe more interesting to you? May it not be so, God, keep me right here anchored into who Christ is. With a move of God's spirit, you can expect there's gonna be a counterfeit. And I wanna be aware of it. And I wanna ask God, give me discernment to know what is true and what isn't true or what is true and what's almost true. That's even trickier, isn't it? But we have him, we have the spirit. I'm skipping the side note, but it's so fun. <sighs> nope, Okay. So we are, or how are we shielded from deception and prepared for the fight really quickly? In Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, we read about how God protects the church. He's given people, he has offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, so that we all grow up in unity and we're established and we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so like, why do we gather this morning? Well, so we can learn things and not be deceived. I don't want there to be a Simon around here and then people get drawn out after him, following after a different spirit. So we're learning this morning, hopefully. I want to be aware of it. 
So that's one scripture. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 13 through 17, he deals with the very same thing. Deception's gonna come like crazy if you read the full section. But you know what he ends with? The word of God, right? All scripture is given by inspiration. If you want to de- deception proof yourself, then we go through scripture. That's why he's given it to us. And he'll end that with 16 and 17. We just went through it as one of our memory verses. Summary. Like a real actual summary. I'm almost done. Satan and his kingdom possesses limited power. Things to consider. God's power is limitless and you can rest in that. Right? Rest. Rest in him. Abide in him. Trust him. The second thing, oh no, that was the, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Something to consider. God's power is so far beyond, and he's given us his spirit. <clears throat> yes, deception's real. Yes, Satan has power, but it's nothing to fear. We just need to be aware of it. The second thing, we must beware of false prophets, of false Christs and deceivers. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 17 says this. See then that you walk circumspectly with your head on a swivel. You're just aware, right? You're looking around. You're listening to that. You're listening to that teaching or that whatever it might be. And you're like, man, that doesn't seem right. There's something off. It's not making sense. It's adding or subtracting, whatever it might be. I just want to know. Don't walk as fools, but be wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We have it right here. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus helps us understand how I'll know whether these people are of the Lord or of the, whether they're not. And he says, beware of false prophets. They're gonna come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. He says, you're gonna know them by their fruit. You're gonna observe their life and watch them. Do they look like Jesus or do they not? Now that can take some time to see because anybody can fake it. You guys know that when we do premarital counseling, it's like you guys can hang out and it's the best face forward all the time. And you can fake it for a few hours on your date, but then you go home and you can relax. Well, all of a sudden you get married and what happens? You can't escape each other. You can't hide any longer, man. You're going to bed together. You're waking up together. The hair's crazy. The breath stinks. You're mad. You can't hide any longer. (laughs) It's like you're there all the time. You'll know them by their fruit. And sometimes it's like, I hadn't, I didn't, it is, it's true. I did not see that one coming. I did not, I did not know that you possessed such devilry. Um, So she says to me, right? (laughs) But you learn things. You'll know them by their fruit. It can take time though. And so don't think that I'll immediately be able to look. Oh, we're cool. Man, be wise, right? And how I discern, how I navigate these things. I'm just encouraging you guys to be wise in these days because it's going to grow worse and worse and worse. You'll know them by their fruits. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be disabled. And I don't want to become disqualified. And so I want to continue in Christ, right? And so then the last thing, number three, it's not always as obvious as we like, kind of dealt with that already, but here's what we do. We abide in him. That means like you enjoy and you hide yourself in Christ. I know that you guys know this and you've heard it from Bill until now. Man, you guys have been so well taught. You've hidden yourself in God's word. But here's what's up. Uh, The days will get worse and worse. And it's not like it's gonna be necessarily like super obvious. 
It just isn't. You look through the history of the church. You look through the history of what's happened. It's not always obvious. In my mind, I think it will be, but it, but it might not be. And so then what do I do? Guys, listen, there's, there's nothing that can just be prescribed for every situation except for this. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know the word. I want to know what is real so that when something counterfeit comes, I can, I can sense it and I can, I can see it, right? Abide in him, feast on his word. You know this stuff. Live a life of prayer. Enjoy him, right? And then enjoy the fellowship of God's community. Because as you're hanging out in here and you're chit-chatting and talking and you're discussing different things, you might have a brother or a sister who says, bro, that's crazy stuff. What are you doing? Ah, right on, thank you. I didn't see that, right? We, we can encourage one another. We can be shown different things. We can, uh, and so that's why we have this beautiful community that we have as a church, be plugged into a home fellowship, have a small group where we have those times and opportunities to be able to plug in like that, to have an intimacy of fellowship and relationship. Abide in him, feast on his word. Live a life of prayer and enjoy the community that we have here, the fellowship that's here. 